Welcome to Centerpoint Church Podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. As we study John's letter to Ephesus, we invite you to remember what it was like when you first experienced the overwhelming, unconditional love of Jesus. Friends, my name is Chris Godfordson, and it's my pleasure to serve Centerpoint Church as the campus pastor here in Sioux Center. If you are uh, with us for the first time today, a special welcome to you. I'm really grateful you're here. I would love to meet you after worship in the, uh, at the Welcome Center. It's right outside here. There's like black carpet, and on the wall it says Welcome Center. So you'll find me there. Before uh, we get to the Word of the Lord this morning, I have three announcements. The first is this. A Discover Center Point is uh, our... Um, on-ramp into the life of the church. So I would like to invite all of you uh, to participate in Discover Center Point and new classes that uh, will launch on November 5. So you can go to Next Steps and register for that. You can do it at home, uh, whatever, and however it is that you'd like to do it. But this is our way. We understand how we are knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. Discover Center Point is a three-week offering for you engage in that. The second is this, that we are in the book of Revelation for the next several weeks, and uh, we have studies available at Next Steps. That's out here as well in the lobby. Go to Next Steps afterwards if you would like a copy of the Revelation study that we have for you. And then the third announcement is this. Where are my Viking fans? There's a couple. And, And where are my Packer fans? Hey, all right, so there's, boy, y'all are shy today, I think. I think some of you are holding on to me, and I understand why. Because the lions are ruling the north. Shout out to Steve and Linda Breen. Hey, and my friend Francis in the back. On next Sunday, we are going to have uh, a, an opportunity to have lunch together. And we're going to have a, a nacho feed, and we're going to put on a really bad football game. <laughs> But, but, but it's a chance to suffer through that with family and friends who love you. <laughs> and the food will be really good. And my acknowledgement, my acknowledgement of guilt is that my favorite team is the JV team, because that's what I call my fantasy team, <laughs> because that's how it works these days in 21st century North America. Those are the announcements. And as I said, friends, um, we are in a series uh, that we um, are studying the book of Revelation. And and as we do this, uh, we are calling this series Dear Church. And and we have this contention that um, these are love letters. Jesus loves the church deeply. And because he loves the church, he's willing to, um, he was willing to commission a guy named John to write letters to the seven ancient churches uh, that we are studying through this series. 
John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. At the, at the Last Supper, that, that meal that the disciples had with Jesus before his death on the cross on behalf of us, John was reclining at the table with him. I can't bend like John was. But, but he was intimately connected to Jesus. He was close to Jesus. John knew Jesus, and John loved Jesus. He loved him deeply, and Jesus loved John. And now, John is an old man at the time of this writing. There's some 60 years have passed from the time when he, when he, along with Peter and James, were hanging out with Jesus. But the letter really matters. And, and in an attempt to, to quiet the old man or, or to shut him up, the Roman emperor Titus Flavius Domitian exiled John to the island of Patmos. And it was on this island of Patmos um, that uh, John received this revelation from Jesus. Now, Domitian had no idea, <laughs> he had no idea that the Holy Spirit would be able to break through and travel across the water and, and hit and, and connect with John on the island of Patmos. But that's what the Spirit of the living God did. The Spirit spoke Jesus' words to John, and then John told, Jesus told John, tell the churches these things. Now, we can think that these seven letters written to those seven ancient churches were just for those seven ancient churches. We can think that, and if we think that, then we're missing out on a really great opportunity. And the great opportunity for us is to, is to receive these letters um, in a loving way as a warning. And we can gain a whole lot of insight into what it is that Jesus wants the church to understand about how it should live and move and breathe. Friends, God loves Christ's church. And God loves you enough and he loves me enough to not leave us where we find ourselves. So um, in these love letters, there's something for you today. I'm convinced of it. And, and there's something for me. It wasn't just for those ancient times. It was for the church in Sioux County, Iowa today. So whereas last week we opened Dear Church in Revelation chapter 3, this morning we're going to go back and we're going to um, look at Revelation chapter 2 and the letter to the church in Ephesus. We know a thing or two about Ephesus, yeah? Because we spent the last several weeks studying Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. I mean, we know how to get there. So you can probably just like throw your Bible open and you'll be right there. But don't do that. Go all the way back to Revelation, way in the back of your Bible. And as you do that, as you throw open your Bible or your preferred electronic device on which you read Scripture, um, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, would your word be our rule? Holy Spirit, would you teach us, and would the glory of Jesus be our single concern? Amen. So friends, we are in Revelation 2. We'll read the first seven verses this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, I made a bit of a deal about mail. And, and receiving love letters. If you were with us, you heard that. And, and how we believe that these letters to the seven churches in these ancient times were letters of love from John. That they were letters from Jesus to John and then John to us. And, and I mentioned to you, we talked about this, right? How wonderful it is to, to get a love letter. How life-changing, how life-altering, how life-giving those letters can be. But I didn't really talk about love, did I? I didn't really talk about love. For those of you who are in love, do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love with the person you're dating or are engaged to or are married to? For some of us, we got to do a little remembering, right? I mean, um, it was a while ago when I fell in love with my wife. And what happened in that moment is, like, I was overwhelmed by the love. I was, there was this overwhelming feeling that it was like the Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit does, right? The Spirit fills us up, and, and we, can't, we can't take it. We're overwhelmed by the emotion, the feeling of love. But then there's also this word, and, and a distinction that I want to make is there's a difference between being overwhelmed and, and having that overwhelming feeling of being loved and, and, and being overloaded. Because overwhelmed is an internal thing that starts from here, and, but to be overloaded is to have somebody else put something on you. And, and I expect you to do this, or you have to do this, and the reality of this is that love it's overwhelming. Do you remember the feeling? Nobody? Because I want you to think about it this morning. Do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love? If you're in Crown Point, I want you to think about this. What was it like when you first fell in love? Do you recall being overwhelmed? I mean, just close your eyes for five seconds and think about it. What was that like? And now everybody say it with me. Aww. Wasn't that a great memory, a, a great feeling? 
It was fantastic. Now, every guy in the room would understand this, this phrase, you outkicked your coverage when you married your wife. Or like, you um, married way over your head. Is that familiar? I mean, the temptation to name how some of y'all really outkicked your coverage is strong today. <laughs> I'm not going to name you personally. But, but it happened, and, and if I heard it once, I heard it a million times. Bro, I mean, you married way over your head. And I'm like, yep, it's true. And, and when, we, when we first fell in love, all I wanted to do was spend time with my now bride. I talked about her all the time. I talked to her all the time. I thought about her all the time. I did crazy things that I never did at this point in my life. I went to church. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. Like, I went to night church. This is how much I was in love with her. I did things that I didn't do. They were out of the ordinary. I couldn't stop talking about her. I wanted to be with her all the time. I mean, I even spent time with her parents. They fed me well, which was really handy when you're a college kid, right? But I did all kinds of things that were out of the ordinary. My friends would have said, because I was overwhelmed with, with this love, my friends might have said that I was smitten. I don't know what the slang word for that is today, so I'm not going to try. My friends might have said I was smitten. I want to test this a little bit with you. Like, I wonder who actually was the smitten one. So I remember a friend of mine um, had gone off to the Pacific Northwest. He got married, and then he came home, and he had a little reception uh, three hours from us. And, and I went to the reception alone because Kathy didn't have any interest in going to this uh, little soiree. And, and then I was three hours late getting to Rock Valley for our date. Who was still waiting? She was. Um, I, I played ball night after night and weekend after weekend. I came home late, and who was tagging along and watching? She was. Um, who was there every time and frustrated when I had to do this thing of, of checking scores because I didn't get pings on a phone then because I didn't have a phone? Um, I had to check scores before we would go on a date. And who's still here? She is. So I wonder, who's actually the smitten one, right? I think we both were. And that's how we ended up here. And that's how you ended up here. You fell in love. You were overwhelmed with this sense of um, just wanting to be with that person. And I wonder church, if, you, if, you're, if you're connecting a dot or two. Because um, John's letter to the church in Ephesus is a doozy this morning, is it not? I mean, we understand and we know because we've studied the church in Ephesus and we've understood um, the community, the city of Ephesus, that it was a port city, that it was famous for worshiping the god of Artemis, that, it, that they liked to worship all kinds of things, but they didn't really like to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That wasn't what they did. And so, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to the church that he planted and told these Gentiles, hey, look, like you're not doing it the way that you're supposed to be doing it. And so, now, 
Jesus tells John to write this letter to the church. Because the church in Ephesus is, is wandering away again, and it's kind of what human nature does, right? Um, to the church in Sardis, he began with um, criticism, and then he included a bunch of commands, and then um, Jesus made a commitment to the church. Here in, the, in Revelation chapter 2, this is what we have going on. Jesus gives his approval and tells John, tell him, I, I approve of you. I approve of what, you're, what you have been doing. Um, then Jesus makes an accusation. John accuses the church. He points out what it is that, where they are off. And then he makes an admonition. Or, or he provides them with a solution. And the solutions really matter. So, whereas it was criticism and commands and in a commitment in Revelation 3, here, there's approval. There's accusation and admonition. Let's look at the first thing. Look at with, with me at uh, verse 2 and 3. Jesus tells John, tell them I approve of what they're done, what they're doing. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Friends, the church was doing a lot of good things. They were doing all of the things. And, and if you were with us last week, you, you understand that um, missiologists and ecclesiologists talk about this thing that's known as the life cycle as a con of a congregation. And so I talked about this, and at launch, everything is great. There's some momentum growth. They, they start to strategize, and, and then they get to this place where there is sustained health. And you have to work really hard at sustained health, otherwise you're going you're gonna to do this and you're going to start going towards maintenance and preservation and life support. And when you're up here at, at, the, at the sustained health phase, you're multiplying believers, you're multiplying disciples, you're multiplying leaders, and, and then you're multiplying ministries and sending out people into the world because we desperately want people to know and experience the love of Jesus Christ. This is what the call for the church is at, at sustained health. We want this desperately for people because we want them to experience the things that we have. So, so um, Jesus tells John, tell him, I'm, I'm proud of them. I approve of, of what they've done. He saw everything they did. He saw how they were sacrificing. He saw how they were serving. And they just kept on. They persevered. They kept on keeping on, and Jesus was pretty proud of them. Proud of the fact that despite pressure to do otherwise, they were running the race. And they were up here, and, and he was trying to keep them from going down the slope. But not only that, Jesus also says this in verse 6, because all of you knew what this was. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I didn't do a Google search to see how many times Jesus names something that he hates, but it's rare. Um, and, and these people, the Nicolaitans, um, they were doing some things that um, were contrary to, to what um, the, the Spirit wanted the people under, to understand is that we all have access to the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have access to him. It's not just me as a pastor. It's not just you as, as a person who sits in a pew. And, and Jesus wants to be crystal clear because the Nicolaitans were teaching something other than that. 
We don't hear or understand or there isn't much about the Nicolaitans, but I thought I would try to help you out since it's in there. So Jesus sees the people's busyness. He saw all their actions. He approves. And Jesus doesn't want them to become overloaded. Jesus wants the the church in Ephesus to be overwhelmed by the love of God. And sometimes as, as human beings in our humanity, we can't put our finger on it, right? We don't know when it is that we, that we missed it. Uh, we don't know maybe that there's a problem. Or maybe we know there's a problem and we just don't want to deal with the problem. And in our human relationships, this is what we call taking one another for granted. Have you ever taken um, your relationship with your spouse or with your kids or with a loved one? Have you ever taken somebody else for granted? Because this is what happens, right? I mean, we, we get into our routines. We do the things we do. We do the things we do because somebody expects us to do them or we've been told to do them. So we just do them. And, and we, we don't do it out of a place of being overwhelmed by the, our love for them. We do it out of a, out of a sense of uh, being uh, burdened and, and told what to do. And, and, and this is the accusation. I see this over and over and over in the scriptures. Like, Jesus loves us as we are, friends. And Jesus loves us enough to not stay there. That's why Jesus is willing to speak hard truths. He says hard things to the church and to us because he desperately and deeply loves us. He doesn't want us to be overloaded by the law. He wants us to be overwhelmed by his love for us so that we would love him like that. And so here's the accusation. And this is how Eugene Peterson catches it in the message. Verse 4. You walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? You walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you? Do you remember, friends, when you first realized the love of God? Do you remember when you first experienced the love of God? Do you, do you remember that moment when you were overwhelmed, when you couldn't keep it in any longer? You had to tell somebody about it. You had to make Jesus not only your Savior, but you had to make him your Lord. Do you remember? Now, I realize that not all of us have the same kind of conversion experience, or maybe you weren't as disobedient as I was for most of the first 23 years of my life, and then again for a stretch in my early 30s. I realize that that's not true, but this is true, I think, is that we all have this moment. We all do have a moment, if you are following Christ, and if he's your Lord, where you gave up control of your life. We all have that moment. A moment where you decided, okay, Jesus, you are both Savior and Lord. I desperately need you. I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. I need you to be my God. I need to stop trying to take control 
of my life. Can you remember that moment? Take a minute or 10 seconds and just close your eyes. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that moment when you made him Lord? If you haven't done that, this is a chance to do that right now. And now think about where you find yourself today. Think about where you see yourself. As John writes to the church in Ephesus, you walked away. What's going on with you? What is it? Because while Jesus inhabited the earth, he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He promised to be with us no matter how hard it was. No matter if people are trying to overload us, overload us, he wants us to be overwhelmed. So we, we, we need to resist the, the challenge of doing things for Jesus so that we miss out on the point. Because when we're just doing things for Jesus... Because somebody told us to do the things for Jesus, we're missing it. And the love of God isn't expressed in that. Now, when I don't love Kathy the same way I did when I first met her. I love her differently. It's, it's deepened, it's matured, it's more nuanced than it was when we first started dating. The same is true in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's maturing, it's deeper, it's more nuanced because it needs to be, because the things that I did in the beginning to, to experience the, the overwhelming sense of God might not work the same way as they once did. Because there are things to, know, to learn and know as I think about my relationship with my wife, I'm far more curious than I once was. So, like, I actually ask questions once in a while, and then I listen for the answer. Try it at home. It really works, because what happens is, is I begin to understand, and I learn more and more and more about who she is, and I want to spend more time with that person. It's palpable, because every relationship has its own life cycle. Yeah? I mean, you think about when you started, when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ, if you're like me, you were excited. This was new, and it was quite something. And I get up here, and it's like, okay, how do I hang on? What do I do? How do I keep thinking about him? How do I keep talking to him? How do I keep doing the things? And and then we we get here, and it's like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to happen? And this is what happens for the church. Right? We start off excited. The church in Ephesus was, was doing its thing. They were going good. They were growing. They were growing. Okay, we're sustaining. And now here they are. They're starting to go down the other side where they're just maintaining what they're doing. And they're going to move to preservation to death. Jesus doesn't want us in that place. He doesn't want us to die. So um, he gives us this admonition. He he loves us so much that he says what's true because because this is true. (sighs) 
we don't love Jesus fervently, we won't serve him faithfully. Jesus, I think, I don't think Jesus has a whole lot of interest in uh, having our head and our hands and our feet if he doesn't have our hearts. So he comes to help us out. He provides a solution. He, he gives this admonition. For us, around here, we, we talk about finding our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. Knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. We do it over and over and over again. It's remember, repent, and retrace. In the scripture, Jesus tells John to tell the church, remember, repent, and retrace. Look at verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Remember what it was like when you were with your first love. What was it like at the beginning? What were the things that drew you to Jesus as an individual? How did you get to know him? Did you stop? Did you listen? Did you talk to him? Did you read the Bible? Did you inquire of him? What were the things that you did? It's like, um, remember and keep on remembering. That's what the Greek is saying. Consider how far you have fallen. Don't just do it once. We get to keep on keeping on. Keep on remembering what it was that drew you to love him in the first place. Sit with him and listen. Ask questions. Read. Talk to people about him. Talk to other people that you engage with. This is what it is to... to, um, Know Christ, grow together, talk to people. If you can't stop talking because you're so overwhelmed by the love of Christ, the world is going to be a better place. And then repent. If, if you're only doing the things you do because you're overloaded, because somebody told you to do them, or because you think that that's best for business or whatever it is, Repent, turn from that, and go to the cross of Christ and say, help me to love you again. Help me to love you the way that I first did. This is the move, friends. Remember, repent, and retrace. Love one another as Christ loved you. Paul wrote, because if we don't do, if if. If we just do the things and we have not love, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, you're nothing but a resounding gong. We are nothing but resounding gongs and clanging cymbals. In fact, he said, if we have not love, we have nothing and we are nothing. And elsewhere, John wrote it like this. 
Everyone who has love has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Get to love, church. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the invitation. So remember your first love. Turn and repent and go the other way and then retrace your steps. Last Sunday, uh, I lost my phone somewhere in the church. And, and before worship, I was freaking out a little bit. I was really glad that I didn't have it, the, the baptismal liturgy on my phone because I would have been in big trouble. I mean, I had all these things going on in my head. The, the, when I got here in the morning, the, uh, the communion table was over here. It wasn't where it was supposed to be. I was talking to people, and at 9.12, it's like, oh, I need some water in the baptismal font. So, so I had to quick go get some water and, and fill, in the, in the, um, fill the tank so we didn't have a dry baptism, because I don't think that works. And my mind was racing. It was all over the place. And, and I retraced my steps, and I retraced my steps. And then what happened is uh, I didn't find the phone uh, until after worship and after my faith walking class. My friends and I retraced my steps, and I found it back there. Well, I didn't find it. One of my friends did. He found it on the back, sitting there on the piano where I had, where I had left it. Why are you telling me this? Good question. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I'm telling you this because we get to retrace our steps to find and remember our first love. You get to retrace your steps in its best to do it um, with others. Because I couldn't find it. I didn't see it by myself. I, I hit the thing in my, I'm a, I'm a Mac guy and an Apple guy, so I hit the thing and I don't think it was beeping. And anyway, we just found it back there. But it took several of us to actually locate it. It might be, it might be true if as a church, if we're overloaded, that we need to do this together so that we reimagine what it is to be overwhelmed. For Centerpoint Church, we don't have to think too far back. We don't, have to, we don't have to do a whole lot of remembering because it hasn't been all that long that we've been center point church where we are centering on the gospel, we're, tra- we're prioritizing healthy culture, we're transforming lives, we're valuing generations, and we're living on mission. We think these things matter so much we put them on a wall so that we remember them, so that we might be, again, overwhelmed by the love of God, and that we would be loving people to anybody who comes into the space, that we would exhibit love, that we would exude love in all the things that we do. So here's your invitation and challenge for the week. Friends, remember your first love. What was it like? Experience it again. And if you need something new so that you feel this overwhelming feeling, try on the something new and do it with people around you. And and if you find yourself serving or just doing the thing you do because you think it's expected of you, repent 
and go the other way and retrace your steps because we have a really important mission to make Christ known. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Lord is saying to the churches. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. I thank you um, for that overwhelming sense that the Holy Spirit gives us where when we come to faith in you, where we can't help but uh, share you with other people, where we want to know you deeply and intimately. And that can happen if we're three or if we're 93 and every three in between. Help us to do that. Lord God, we need you to birth in us a sense of being overwhelmed again. Would you help us remember? Would you enable us to repent when we are wandering around just doing the things, but not doing them because we love you because you first loved us? And then help us retrace our steps, Lord God. Remind us so that it might be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship on Sundays at 930.